Let's look at Psalms 51. I'm going to jump right into it. We are starting back our series in the Psalms. We're continuing our series in the Psalms. By way of announcement, our Gospel Fellowship podcast is on iTunes. And so we know we are no longer doing Facebook Live, but you can catch all of the sermons there. They're usually up by Monday or so, and so you can keep in touch with what we're doing uh, at the Gospel Fellowship Podcast on iTunes. Amen? Today we're looking at a psalm of lament by King David in his Psalms 51. It is a familiar psalm, but I think there's still things God wants us to learn. So let's look into his word. Psalms 51, the course master, the psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went in to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your word and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me. With hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressor your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Amen. I want to talk to you about three things this morning. should be on the screen. I want to talk to us about how we confront sin And I want to take from my points, do I need God's mercy? That's a question. Suppressing sin and moving from confession to ministry. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. God, we thank you that your word is everlasting. Thank you that cultures change and Fads change, but your word does not change. Thank you that presidents change and and Congress and, and changes, but your word stands forevermore. Thank you that we can trust the book. And even now, God, thousands of years later after this psalm was penned, 
we can be encouraged and strengthened and learn from what the Holy Spirit wrote using the hand of David. Teach us how to confront our sins so that you may be glorified, we may be healed, and people might be strengthened. Father, it's to that end that I'm available to you. Use me up, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. The more I have an opportunity to share my faith, the more I have an opportunity to talk to people about things concerning God. One of the, one of the running themes I've been getting to understand about this culture is that there are certain assumptions that I would normally make that I can no longer make. One of those assumptions is I would make assumptions about sin. I would make the assumption and think that if I said the word sin, people knew what I meant. I thought it was a word that we all had in common that people understood. But the truth is, people don't consider sin the way the Bible says it. They wouldn't call it transgression or uh, deliberately crossing a boundary. This word iniquity or perversion or twistedness doesn't register to them. They wouldn't say sin is missing God's mark, which is a definition for it. They would just say, well, what is the mark? And who said it was a mark? And just because you said it's a mark or some old book says it's a mark, does that mean I can't do it? Who's to say what's right or wrong anyway? There is a movement of suppressing sin. Do I need God's grace? Because the truth is, if there is no sin, why do I need grace? If there is no sin, then what is the purpose of a cross? If, if sin is relative, why do I need redemption? Do I need God's grace if sin is not really sin? You take the New Age spiritual movement that would say things like, you have to follow your own truth. Have you heard this? And no one can determine your truth. You have to find truth through the introspection of your own heart. And then what's true for you is true for you, so do that. For the black Hebrew lights who believe because of our race, then they are better than other races. So let's push sin down in that context. It's about our race or our ethnicity that makes us, quote, unquote, these 12 tribes of Israel that makes us superior to other people. So let's take away the economy of sin and salvation and let's use our race. God forbid or the conscious movement that talks about enlightenment and searching for, for, for this divine truth that's somewhat secret, so you got to work really, really hard to find out what it is. Or just your atheist or agnostic who would say, there is no God at all that could ever suggest anything of the sort to me. We live in a culture 
that suppresses the idea of sin. Because if sin is sin, if, if sin is really missing a mark and God is right and we're wrong, and when I sin, I, God, God has a right to judge me, then that has something to say about how I live. But I don't think it's just these groups. I think it's even us in this room, we suppress sin. Now we may highlight the sins that we don't do. Or talk bad about someone that does the sins that you don't do. But I think even us in this room, if truth be told, we suppress sin. We live as if there is no sin or no God to be offended by our sin. We minimize sin, and we call it stuff like mess-ups or blunders, or everyone does it. I think even us in this room, the Holy Spirit is coming uh, to send us a message about confronting our sin that we are suppressing, but not just us. Even in our text, we have a great example of someone that has suppressed sin and how the Holy Spirit confronts him with sin and what he does in light of being confronted by sin. This is the story of David. David in Psalms, Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 11, chapter 12, the story is told of David and his mess up, if you will, no, not if you will, his sin with Bathsheba. David is supposed to be going out to, to battle. It is, it is the time that kings go out to battle, and David decides, I'm not going out to battle. I'm sitting this one out. Footnote, this is for free. Be careful what you sit out. He's, it's the time that they go to battle. David says, no, I'm sitting out. I'm chilling. I'm, I'm, I'm resting. I'm, 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 I'm whatever he's doing. And he just so happens in his recreation or his 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 not idolatry but his idleness his 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 neutralness if you will car metaphor not 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 forward not 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 backwards just neutral and and can be moved if you push me david goes out and sees bathsheba this beautiful woman bathing in our idleness we're often tempted this is when the enemy comes in and he sees Bathsheba. She is beautiful. She is bathing. I don't know if this is the first time David does this. But he sees her. He inquires about her. Who she with? Who is she married to? Finds out she is married to Uriah. Yeah, but I still want her. He, the Bible says he goes. He sends for her. She comes. They have sex. And he sends her back. Look how quick that happens. Some of us, we, we, we wake up in situations and truth be, I don't know how all this happened so fast. Even in the text, the text is quick. Bathsheba and David sleeps together. And, and one of the things when we're dealing with our sin, we want to do is we want to put a period where it hasn't stopped yet. It was just one time. It'll never happen again. I made a mistake. I made a blunder. I'm through with that. I'm, that's not going to happen anymore. But if you haven't dealt with the heart issue that you fell to the first time, how are you going to change that with your willpower? You need something else that comes from outside of you to correct you. 
Then she sends back that daunting text message, David, I'm pregnant. Now David got to scratch his head and figure this out. Here's what he could do. He could go out to Israel and say to all of Israel, to the priests, to the prophets, I am David. I have created I, 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 this mess. I have sinned. I'm responsible. Forgive me. It's my f-. He could have done that, but that's oftentimes not how unrepentant hearts work. Instead of repenting, we seek to cover. How can I hide this? How can I conceal this? So David gets the idea to say, go get her husband and tell her husband to go sleep with her. It'll pass. Me and him kind of look alike. We can get rid of it. We can get away with it. The husband doesn't fall for it. What's unique in this passage is that Bathsheba or Uriah goes against the king's order when what the king is ordering is not what he's supposed to be doing at the time. He's in war, he's with his soldiers, he's in battle, and he's not going home to be with his wife. So he refuses to go home. Now David got a more serious problem. He needs to get home and he needs to get home quick because the time got to line up. But instead, David said, okay, if you're not going to go home, I'm going to get rid of you. And I'm going to take her as my wife. So he sets him up in the hottest section of the battle. Uriah dies by the hand of David. And then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And he suppresses the sin. This is David, y'all. This is, this is David and Goliath. This is, this is David the shepherd. This is David the anointed psalmist that when he played on the harp, demons were driven out. This, this is David. And the reason I'm saying that is because this is not someone that does not have a relationship with God. This is someone that has a relationship with God but has not confronted his sin. He is suppressing it and he's still king. He's an adulterer and he's king. He's covered it up, he's murdered. He's coveted his neighbor's wife, and he's still king. He has this baby, and he's still king, and stuff looked like he got away with it. If you do the math, it's about a year since this has happened, and he's just been marching on. And life is good. And he gets up, and he puts on his crown, and he keeps it moving for a year. I remember when I was an undergrad, I took a class called Human Development. And in Human Development, uh, it talked about just human behaviors and, 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 and addictions, what, I, what, what the Bible calls strongholds. Uh, in, in, in college, they call it addictions. And I learned about the, the power of drug addiction and how there are individuals who are called um, functional addicts. Functional addicts. Functional addicts can go in the weekend, uh, uh, do drugs, you know, uh, get high, whatever, pop pills, what have you, and then when Monday comes, they function normally. And, and, and Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all the week, they're, they're functioning normally, and then on Friday, they go buck wild and get high and do drugs again, but they're, they're, they're what you call a functional addict. What I read about this this week is today's high-functioning addict can be tomorrow's non-functioning addict. 
The factors that separate the functioning addict and the non-functioning addicts include things like denial. These are people who say, I ain't addicted. I'm fine. I'm, I'm functioning. I can deal with this. And I think a lot of times that's how we handle our sin. We cover it. We suppress it. We don't address it. We hide it. We conceal it. And we function. We, we, I'm at church on Sunday. I, I, I got this one on the side, but don't nobody know about her. Don't nobody know about him. Don't nobody know this, this, this thing that I do, this secret thing, that, that, that I'm, I'm able to keep it under wraps. I still function. I give. I serve. I'm good. David is a functional sinner. You see, David, he looks good. He's, he looks strong. He's leading. See, when we suppress sin, we are prone to become our own best defense lawyer when, when time to be confronted with our sin. We'll, we'll explain things away. It's, you know, it's just, yeah, I know this is sin, but this is just a hard season. I, I'm just really tired. I just need a relief. I need a break. I need me time. This is for me. I, I, I know this is what God says, but I've been doing it God's way for so long. We could be functional sinners. Functional sinners is one that lives their Christian life in unrepented sin. Let's pause and ask some questions. Is that you this morning? Let me ask you another question. Do you think in that whole year the Holy Spirit was trying to get David's attention and David suppressed it? Do you know David went up to worship with this sin on his conscience, this sin eating away at him, but he's up at the festivals worshiping God? He's leading armies out the battle with this sin on him. And, and he must be thinking, I can lift this down. I can lift this down. I can lift this down. They never have to know. They never have to know. I'll get away with it. They, they, they won't find out. But God in his goodness sends Nathan. Sends Nathan to expose David's sin. This morning, God sends Rodney to expose the craftiness of your sin. And I love Nathan's approach. It is one of wisdom and one of bravery all at the same time. He gives David this parable about a little sheep. And, and, and David, when he hears this parable, says, who did this to this little sheep? Whatever he is, he, he needs to pay. He needs to be destroyed. How could he take this little sheep? And when you're a functional sinner, you have the ability to still look down your nose on other people's sin while you're still functioning in all of your own mess. Don't think because someone judged correctly, they don't have any hidden sin. Especially when that judgment is not tempered with grace. 
David says, this man must die, and he needs to pay restitution. Nathan says, you are that man. David, when he hears that, he says, I have sinned against God. Adultery at that time was considered the great sin. It was considered the great sin, and it was punishable by death. It is here now in this context that David probably goes somewhere quiet and begins to cry out to God. And and it's around this time that Psalms 51 is written. Do you see the context now? And listen to how he starts off. I ask you this question. Do you need God's mercy? Look what David says. Lord, have mercy on me. See, this is... Yeah, this is, this is the time where I'm not concealing my sin anymore. See, this is why confession is powerful, because confession can precede exposure. This is why confession is healthy, because if you learn to confess well, you can shield some of the stuff that's coming if you don't confess. Rodney, how do you know that? The Scripture says your sin will find you out. Got to just sound the alarm for somebody this morning. Your sin will find you out. It is better to confess. Some of you hear that and you say, ah, he's talking to somebody else. He ain't talking to me. He ain't talking to me. I got that thing sealed up. Ain't no way. I've checked everything around me. Ain't nobody going to find out nothing. Hear me this morning. Then he sent Nathan, now he sends Rodney. Your sins will find you out. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. On the onset, it looks like this whole year, David was getting away with it. But anybody who has hidden sin knows he wasn't getting away with it. He had to walk like this. He's standing. He's, he's, he's before the people. He had to be thinking, does anybody know? Hey, hey, did you hear anything about me? No, I didn't hear anything. You sure? No, I didn't hear anything. Nobody finds out. I, I, I know this one knows because he was involved with it, but I told him not to tell anybody. I hope he can hold water. Is that Freedom. That's bondage. That's why it's best to live a life that, this is who I am. Love me. Leave me. This is me. This is what you get. Let me just be forthright. This is where I am. And the only way you can do that securely is if you know there's someone that has already accepted you where you are, but doesn't leave you where you are. God knows we should be freed up to live a life of honesty before him. Do do I need God's mercy? David answered, yes, Lord, have mercy on me. How is he going to have mercy on me? According to your steadfast love. This is the word hesed, which speaks of loyalty. It It is David pleading for mercy. When you understand who you are in light of who he is, you plead mercy every day. It is the heart that is too caught up in conceit that doesn't plead, Lord, have mercy on me. 
you can look down your nose on others, if you sit with a critical spirit, you have not leaned into understanding all of the mercy you need from God to breathe. According to your steadfast love, not according to my quiet time, not according to my fidelity to my spouse, not according to, 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 to my theology or, or what church I go to, but according to your steadfast love. In other words, the only way I'm going to get the mercy I need is if I base it on your love and not my behavior. Blot out my transgressions. David wants his record clean. It is the idea of esponging one record as if what was done previous was no longer there. David wants his sins blotted out. David says, if you wash me, I'll be clean. If you, if you wash me, I told the story before, love my grandmother. My grandmother was not the biggest fan of washing machines. She felt when she put her clothes in washing machines, it didn't come out as clean as it possibly could be if she washed it by hand in that tub. And she got that washing board. Anybody know what a washing board is? Okay, y'all in the house. And she put that work on there, and she got that angle on that thing. And she just scrubbed and scrubbed. And, and, and what dirt was previously there was removed. David says, Lord, if you wash me, I'll be clean. He's not talking about necessarily washing board. He's talking about ceremonial cleaning. Think about the tabernacle. Think about how the articles in the tabernacle had to be clean. There was ceremonial washing happened. In other words, David is saying, cleanse me so I can serve again. Listen, God ain't got no servants. He don't have to clean. And if you wait to clean yourself to serve, you will never serve. Y'all may have to monitor my mic. I feel like yelling this morning. This is why when Jesus is meeting with the 12 disciples and he gets to Peter, and he's washing their dirty feet. And he gets to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, I will, I will not let you wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you ain't got no part with me. If I don't wash you, Peter, you're still unclean. Can you imagine Peter saying, I don't care what you say, I'm going to wash my own feet. And that's what we do. I, I'll clean it up. I'll, I'll clean my, I'll wash myself, I'll, I'll, I'll bathe my, I'll, I'll get rid of this. I ain't never going to do it again. I ain't going to look at it. I'm going to block it. I'm going to hide everything. I ain't never talking to that person again. I ain't never going over there. We try to clean ourselves. And you try to deal with the symptom instead of dealing with the cause. I got to go. This is cleansing for service. David says, I know my sin is ever before me. If you have someone in your life that you are struggling to forgive because what they did to you, can I say this to you this morning? Do you think they don't think about it? Do you think it don't hurt them? Here's what David says about sin. I know my sin. Some of us are struggling to forgive family members and friends and, and, and cousins and relatives. Listen, they know they sin. Their sin is ever, but listen, sin has torment. 
David didn't just keep it moving. This sin was plaguing him, especially when sin dwells in secrecy. It's like, it's like mold. The more you conceal it, the more it spreads, the more human it becomes, the more it grows, the more damage it does because sin is growing in secrecy. But there's a way to stop the growth. It's a way to rid sin of its power. It's called confession. He sees himself for who he is. David sees his sin primarily against God. In the text, he says, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Why does David say that when he sinned against all those people? How could he say against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned? Because David understands his sin was primarily against God. People were affected, but his sin was primarily against God and secondarily against people. You see, I cannot sin against my wife without first sinning against God because he made her in his image. So when I sin against her, I'm sinning against him. I can't, I can't sin against friends without first sinning against God because they're his. David says, I got to get the vertical right if I have any hope at getting the horizontal right. So if you just try to mend all your relationships without coming to God and see your offense against him, you're moving in a circle and you'll just defend again. You got to get to the root and say, God, it's first you that, who always sees me, who, who knows me thoroughly that I've sinned against. And then to these people. So, Lord, I need your mercy. So when I'm spiteful against loved ones, it's first against God. When I embellish my resume in the workplace to make me look better than I am, it's first against God. When I lust after my friend's husband, it's first against God. So David's judgment or God's judgment, he says, is just. I need y'all to see that. Pull up verse 5 for me, please. Verse. Oh, no, I'm sorry, verse 4. Go back to verse 4, please. I'm sorry, verse 4. Against you and against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What is David, David saying? God, you should kill me. See, that's, that's how we know we're making headway in repentance. Repentance doesn't say, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, Lord, but you know, I got a pretty good record. Most, or I had a mess up, but mostly I'm good. David says, you justified in your words, and I can't say nothing about your judgment. Adultery is a sin, at that time, it's a great sin. It's punishable by death. I should die. You're right.
Verse 5, surely I was sinful at my birth and sinful in the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. What is David saying? I'm not blaming this on my childhood or who raised me. David says, listen, I'm born in sin. Listen, from the beginning this has been happening. In other words, this ain't mama fault, this ain't daddy fault. This ain't my childhood. This is my sin and I own it. And I need to be clean. And here's verse 7 and it's beautiful. He says, <coughs> purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was what was used to apply. If you remember in Exodus when the death angel was coming and he was passing by, uh, the, the instructions were that what you were supposed to take a lamb and take the blood and then put the blood on the doorpost. And when the death angel sees the blood, when he sees the blood, he will pass over that house. In other words, you would be secure if you would obey and apply the blood. So they would take the plant called the hyssop and use the hyssop to apply the blood. Here's what David says, cleanse me, not with um, Thai 401, I can't remember, none of the names of the cleaners now, um, anything like that. David says, it's going to take some blood for this. You see, David understands without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. David understands how the tabernacle and the temple works. David understands sacrifice. For this, he's going to need blood for this forgiveness. Do you believe that? He said, I'm going to be honest. If you're, if, you're, if you're stuck in a sin that you are concealing, a part of the enemy's job is, is to convince you God can't clean you. You clean so-and-so. He, 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 you? after what you did he don't he don't want you David is saying he shouldn't clean me because of my sin David understands that the wrath of God is against sin David understands he deserves death he gets it when the enemy comes to you and says those types of things, God, you know, he, he um, whatever, God, you know, God shouldn't forgive you after you did that. You're right. Good job. He shouldn't. But because of grace, what Jesus has done, he will. So David says, Hide your face from my sin. David says, create in me a clean heart. David says, renew the right spirit. David says, don't cast me away from your, spirit, from, from your spirit or your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Here's my question to you. How can David say that? How can David says, clean me thoroughly? After what he did, how do you get clean from murder? How do you get clean from adultery? David says, would, would you wash me? How do you get that clean? He's talking about bringing joy to his bones that were broken. How is David going to experience joy after what he did? Now, some of you will not follow me, so let me help make it plain. 
What if you were Uriah? What if you were Uriah's mom who just caught wind of what David the king did? Would you pray for his forgiveness? You would say, God, you saw what that king did. I know what your word says. Smite him dead. See, if you were the one that was sinned against, you would ask questions like this. How could he even ask God for God to hide his face from his sin? How can he fix his mouth to ask God to blot out his murderous, adulterous actions? How can God create a clean heart in such a dirty man? Romans 3, verse 25 says this. God presented him, talking about Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over sin previously committed. Let me read it again. To demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, in God not killing David, it was him passing over sins previously committed that will be fully punished in Jesus. What am I saying? No one gets away with anything. When God practices restraint for those that follow him, it is because he is punishing those things in Jesus or for those that do not follow him, it is that those things will be punished in eternal separation from God. No sin goes unpunished. What, the reason why David could say, create in me a clean heart is because of the work that Jesus would do in the future. So the reason why David can plead on God's mercy is because mercy is coming on a cross and dying for what David could not keep. Point three, I'm almost done. From confession to ministry, David says, restore to me the joy of salvation. I love that. When, when, when we come to confront our sins for what it is, sin against a holy God, and we plead for his mercy, and we, we, we petition for his grace, when we receive that, that's joy. That's joy. David says, restore to me that kind of joy and freedom and confidence that I have in Jesus because of what Jesus has done. He says, then I'll teach people your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You see, one of the things that validates you for ministry is you understand how God's grace works. You understand what it's like to be forgiven. So when you see someone struggling with forgiveness, you, you have empathy because you've been there. But if you're self-righteous, you don't know how to do that. And you leave meeting someone, I just don't understand how they do that. 
David says, I'll teach transgression your ways. Look at this. David says, because I was forgiven and I've learned how to walk now in your ways. Don't miss that. He's not just saying, I'm going to teach transgressors about your forgiveness. He says, I'm going to teach transgressors how to follow you after they mess up. I'm going to teach folk that are struggling with stuff how to get free and then follow you in the way. He says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, who are uh, you who are God, my salvation, and my tongue will sing. Oh, that's powerful. It didn't say if you can sing, your tongue will sing. So y'all leave me alone for what I did earlier. Just leave me alone. It's in the text. So I was moved. So Rodney's tongue will sing of his righteousness. Verse 15, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. In other words, when you have tasted of what he's done and you start realizing his forgiveness and you, 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 you move forward, what you come to understand is I got to give him praise for all he's done. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. In other words, he's not saying, do better, do better, do better, do better. He's saying, if you do not take pleasure, or you don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, my sacrifice, oh God, I'm broken, and I'm contrite at heart, and God, you will not despise that. Now, let me say something to be crystal, 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 crystal clear. You can pick your sins, but you can't pick your consequences. So David goes up in the psalm, and he's, he's in joy. He's saying, restore to me the joy. And he's saying, I, I, I will praise you. I would sing of your righteousness. Open my mouth, and I will declare your tr-. He's saying all of these wonderful things, but don't miss it. If you go back and read 2 Samuel chapter 12, here's what happens. Because of David's sin, his son dies. Don't miss this. You can choose your sins. You can't choose your consequences. Because of this sin, part of Nathan skillfully exposing David's sin, Nathan says, and the sword will not leave your house. If you follow the life of David, there are consequences he pays because of his sin, even if his life is spared. So don't think because God allowed you to wake up this morning that, okay, you're, you're free and ain't nothing gonna happen. Some, conse- some of the sin you do will bear its own consequences. Usually the older you get, the more you see the ripple effects of your sin. You'll try to pull it back. You'll try to pray away the consequence. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want that consequence. But you can't pray away the consequence. This is why the Bible says, the day you hear my voice. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. This is why listening to what the Lord says in obeying what he says, it's so vital because he's trying to, to, to save you from stuff. What if David would have got his butt up? He said, if the kings go out, I go out with the kings. Sometimes in our folly 
of sin, we miss out on all what he had. Everyone standing. Oh. Here's the tension for this morning. Here's the tension. Lord, thank you for your grace. Here's the other side. Now, Lord, help me to follow all you have commanded, even the hard stuff. Rodney, what do I do when, when, when following God's command is hard? What do I do when I find myself caught in this sin? He told us in the text, have mercy, O God. You confess your sins. You, you, you agree with God. We say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. We confess to other people. Listen, some of you all have confessed to God in prayer and praise God for that. Some of you all, to experience the freedom you need, the lifting you need, you need to confess that to someone else. If it's the person you've injured, you need to go to that person. You need to confess your sins to that person. This morning is a beautiful opportunity for you to be free, to be free, to rest in a right standing with God. If that's you this morning, you're here, prayer team, you can stay where you are. If you want prayer this morning, we're going to ask you to come to the front. I'm going to pray for you, pray over you. Pray that God will grant you grace to confront sin. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't, listen, this, this is a message. It's, it's, it's hitting you somewhere. It's hitting you somewhere. We want to pray. We want to pray.